We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen. Well, today I am so excited to welcome back the lovely Nikki Dolson to the podcast, kind, witty, wildly gifted. Nikki Dolson is a prolific crime writer whose work has been published in such well-respected places as Shotgun Honey, Tough, Thuglet, and Bartleby Snopes. The author of what she affectionately calls a novelish thing, the book All Things Violent, Nikki has also released a short story collection entitled Love and Other Criminal Behavior. And later this year, one of Nikki's outstanding pieces will appear in the prestigious Best American Mystery and Suspense Stories Anthology for 2021, edited by Alifair Burke and Steph Cha. Nikki, thank you so much for coming back. I had a ball talking with you about heist movies last fall, and although we chat quite a bit on social, it's been way too long. So how are you doing, and what was it like finding out you made the wonderful anthology series? Oh, thanks for having me again, and it's so great to be back. And you know what? I screamed in my house. I screamed, and then I did when I got the the email. I can't imagine. Is is wait wait what? (laughs) I screenshot it and I sent it to all my mutuals, and I'm like, "Hi, does this look real?" (laughs) Sean uh, was like, "Oh my god, fuck yeah!" That's awesome. So this sounds right, real? Then it's real. Yeah. And then I went on like Twitter and it was silent. It was a graveyard. And I'm like, somebody else I know has to have gotten in. And it was like the waiting game just to see. And then they started coming. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, all these people I know are in. I'm so excited. It is the best thing. It is (sighs) writer bucket list. It's on that list. And I can cross that off now (laughs) to make it into papers. Yeah. I was so thrilled when I opened Twitter that day. And I think one of the first congratulations I saw was from Sean Cosby, who you just referenced. And I was like, Nikki did what? Like, oh my gosh, it was so cool. That comes out in October. The cover is super cool as well. Yeah. 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 What is the name of the story? Just so everyone's aware. Um, It's called Neighbors. And it was in, uh, um, let's see, which volume two, issue two of Botron. That came out in December last year. Okay. Um, and God, I'm in it with um, the excellent. I mean, Jen Connolly's in it. Uh, Tom Tommy Flux in it. Um, God, the great Scott Phillips has a story in there. 
And so to have to be surrounded by all these really excellent writers and them like my story, I mean, I'm sorry. That is amazing. Well, you deserve to be in there, though. You're such a good writer. So I'm so excited. I, I, I'm so thrilled. I just, there's no, I don't, yeah, I'm just thrilled. <laughs> oh, well, all good things wishing for you. So what have you been working on lately? Are there any new recent or upcoming pieces you'd like to give us a sneak preview of? Um, I have a story in an anthology that comes out in June called uh, Dead End Jobs, which is a hitman anthology. Ooh. Um, and if anybody's familiar with my first book, um, I'm all about contract killers. Um, so I couldn't resist uh, throwing out a story for that. Um, I read a bit, uh, I've read some of it before for um, Noir at the Bar. It's got an Oxycontin story. Like it, she's high on Oxy really is mm-hmm. it. And then somebody asked her to do a thing. Um, oh, I remember uh, that one. That's a yeah. good one. Yeah. yeah. So that that's the story that goes in there. Um, okay. So yeah, she, uh, my, my contract killer, Laura is in Tonopah um, and gets herself involved in something she really should have avoided. Yeah. But, you know, she yeah. does her job. She does her thing and she's high. For yeah. <laughs> she's not making great decisions. Everyone. She, yeah. she knows she really never does, but really with uh, drugs involved, she's super not great. <laughs> right yeah. I know. What is it about contract killers though? The stories, the films, they're just so much fun to read about, write about. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm like, maybe that should be a different one we can do. But yeah, yeah. we might have to come back for that. Yes. <laughs> the Hitman yeah, episode. Mean, yeah. The 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 idea behind them, I mean, um, in real life, obviously it's like that's the thing you always hear. I'm I'm sorry. I'm like it's seems like really in the 80s and the 90s when I was coming up, the the stories about the wife who hires somebody to bump off her husband. Yeah. For the insurance. Or for the, you know, they, she was just tired of the husband. I mean, I'm sure it went the other way too, but those are the stories that always stood out to me. Mm -hmm. It's just like the wife who just wanted her peace and wanted to make him pay. And dang it, we'll just do this thing. Exactly. Um, the, The, and you know, the, the not professional ones. Yeah. The amateur hitmen are the ones that. I always tend to follow and like bookmark to come back to later on. <laughs> I know it's so good. Like the Red Rock West when he's mistaken yes. for one and yeah, the husband hires and then he goes to the wife and then she hires. And so they all, they both want to kill each other. It's just, yeah, you can't yeah. get better than that whole neo-noir setup, like the body mm-hmm. heat of, can you bump off my husband for me? All of those movies. And there were a ton of them in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we were growing up and watching all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. A little um, double indemnity too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, obviously for the insurance money, but it was still, you know, we do this thing, you get this payment and me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's never going like that, but they it's never, never. Learn, do they? No. Yeah. They never, you know, this is a bad idea. I'm going to go home. They never do this. Never. They no. Come on, think about it logically. But again, these aren't the, you know, yeah. it's probably good they're not the most gifted people. But yeah, these are not rocket scientists. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have so much in common cinematically. We could have easily gone in a hundred different directions today. But I love that you thought of going with literary adaptations. 
terrific short stories that were turned into movies. We considered everything from Blade Runner to Lost Caution, but it was when you mentioned 310 to Yuma and Brokeback Mountain that I kind of seized on it and turned this into like a grab bag Western episode. I mean, who better to tackle Westerns than two women who live in the desert? You in Nevada, me in Arizona. I mean, you know, let's do this. So we're going to go into those films in a moment and then just talk Westerns in general. Young Guns joined the conversation as well. But before we do that, what is it you think that makes for a successful adaptation of story to film, particularly for Westerns. What do you look for? And what do you think of the genre? Um, so I've been around Westerns through my dad. My dad okay. is a big, Me too. Uh, yeah. uh, just, you know, the, the old black and white ones. And I mean, I could tell you, I can see their faces more than I could tell you any of the titles. I mean, the, gotcha. the black and white ones. But, you know, Shane, the classic Shane, you know, watch that. Um, And then, like, the TV series that they had, um, Bonanza. Yeah, (laughs) Gunsmoke, all of those. Gunsmoke, yes, Gunsmoke. Um, You know, and it was just the, the, you know, the justice meted out in some, you know, know, lawlessness must be put down and Mm -hmm. what really is the law and who's really upholding it, all of those things. Um, And it's, I mean, it goes back to just straightforward crime fiction. It's, it is those, you know, it's you make your own rules and you have to live and abide by them. And that's a lot of what's um, behind Westerns. I mean, you're going out to make a life to get your own mm-hmm. by hook or by crook and, you know, defend it to, you know, your, you know, your last breath. And, yeah. you know, 310 to Yuma, um, Elmore Leonard's story is just like just the, the peak of that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can't quite remember when I realized that Leonard wrote Westerns because um, I was really into, uh, um, God, uh, when Jackie Brown came out. I really oh, yeah, Rum Punch. Yeah, yeah. Rum Punch. I dug into like his backlist to figure out, you know, I read some of his shorts before, Karen Sisko stories, yeah. um, you know, Justified. But to go further back and to find out that he had written Westerns to um, support himself Yep. Um, back in the day. And so that, uh, you know, I think he's got one big omnibus of them, but to read all of those and to find out 310 is in there and to see what it is compared to the screen and to be able to appreciate them both because mm-hmm. they're very different things. I mean, oh, exactly. Book to movie. I mean, like you... The novelizations are always great, but they're a different thing because they come after. Yeah. When that story's there to begin with and it's already carved its little self out, a portion of that out, it's often these things aren't equal. No. Usually, I feel that the story, um, the the book, the short story is better than the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if nothing else, you get a level of interiority in those characters yeah. that you don't get in the film. You might get a little bit of it, mm-hmm. but generally, I mean, I think the best adaptions are adaptations are when they each become their own thing. Exactly. And, Good point. And they stand on their own. Yeah. Um, for me, and it's not one of the ones that we're talking about today, but for me, the greatest, like the, the goal line, the ice harvest. 
You have yep. the book, which is just this stellar story and it's bonkers. And you get, uh, I mean, there's just, the characters are great. The story and, you know, the, the, the climax of that book, not to ruin it for anybody, but there's a scene in there and yeah, the teeth and genitalia is really all I'm going to say. <laughs> that is in the book. That's not in the, the movie. No. Uh, but they, the end of that movie and the end of the, the story are really close, but how they combine the characters in the movie. Um, I mean, I, I love them equally. They are mm-hmm. on par with each other. And I think that's the, goal. the best version that you could get. Yeah. It's oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to do like a Christmas episode of crime movies and, and then we might have to do the ice harvest and have mm-hmm. a whole crimes miss as our friend Jed Ayers would call it. Yeah, for <laughs> yes. sure. Yeah, yep. you made some really great points there. And I think, you know, they are very different things. I One of the first film classes I remember taking in school was or in college was on adaptations and mostly she did choose novels and plays but we did do um the one for Blade Runner and Minority Report so we did do a little bit of science fiction and those very different but you know they're both their own thing and they both stand up kind of like the ones we are going to talk about today I think with the western why you hit it right on the head And you said, um, these are like crime fiction. And that is essentially what it is. When people tell me they don't like Westerns, but they love like crime movies, I kind of do a double take because there's that old quote about uh, John Ford made Westerns, I make street movies, which is what Scorsese always says. And it's the same thing. Like he would make a Western. He's making one right now. I'm very excited. But this is his mode of storytelling and it's crime. Just like uh, Kurosawa made samurai movies. We turned them into Westerns, you know, Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai. Hey, even Pixar remade it as A Bug's Life. So, you know, these, these do continue on, but pared down to their, you know, essence is Western storytelling or crime storytelling. They're existential. They're like a man on his mission or like you were bringing up, you know, what is the law? What can you get away with? What should you do? I think it makes it so fascinating. Yes, definitely. And, and particularly in Westerns, people are on that edge of survival. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you know, boom towns come up and it only takes one bad season and they're gone. You know, it's not survivable. Um, and that being, yeah, that that reality, I think, feeds into a certain level of desperation, too. You exactly. Know, everything has to work. This has to work or there's nothing. They're left with nothing. The, the cattle dies. The the horses die. <laughs> you know, yeah. kids yeah. starve. You know, there's can't yeah. eat. Yeah. Can't work. Exactly. No. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, one of the ones we're going to talk about, obviously, 310 to Yuma, the remake was released in 2007 so it's right before the recession we had um assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford came out the same year and also no country for old men so those are westerns totally different um in the way that they're handled 
but yeah, Westerns have a lot of diversity and there's a lot to them. So I was very excited. And you mentioned Elmer Leonard, who is my favorite crime writer. I mean, I love Raymond Chandler. I've read a lot of his novels. I don't know that I've read all of them, but most of them. But I went through a huge Elmer Leonard phase in high school. I started out with, I think my gateway was probably Get Shorty, seeing Mm -hmm. the movie and then finding the book. And then I read as many of the books as I could get my hands on. And in high school, I like pissed off my creative writing teacher who, um, I mean, I was reading classics and stuff. I was a very voracious reader. So I'd go like Jane Austen. And then every weekend I would grab a new Elmore Leonard out of our high school library and bring it home over the weekend. And uh, my teacher would see sometimes. And so in the middle of the class, she's like, stop reading that good old boy trash. Like, come on, it's just white trash, Jen. And I'm like, but it's so good. And it's It's more than that. It is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I found out about his Western career later, too. Mm-hmm. I started out with the crime books and then found these Western stories. And I think this might have been the first one of the Westerns that I read. Yeah, I maybe maybe Ombre. Yeah. Um, and then this. But yeah. yeah. So how about you? What was your um, early experience with Leonard? Was it Rum Punch? Um, honestly, I think so. I mean, everybody talked about him. And I couldn't really figure out the best way in. Yeah. And um, I feel like early on, I read Fire in the Hole, which is okay. a story yeah. that justified based on like that first episode is Fire in the Hole. Yeah. Except he didn't die. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> and then from there, it was in a collection called um, When the Women Come Women Out, came to, out dance. to Dance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, every story in there is just killer. Yeah. But, that one in particular, I'm like, he wrote West. That's so great, isn't it? And then I, you know, Google and got, you know, all of these westerns in his in his backlist, and yeah. um, they, you I mean, all of them. I don't think all of them are great. No, <laughs> but yeah, some of them like, are money stories. Exactly. Yes, yeah. he earned money. He paid yeah. for it. He supported his family. And exactly. I, you know, no shame. No. But, 310 is easily um, the best of them. Yeah. Rereading it for, for this, like by the end of it, I was laughing and I'm like, no, no, you knew what you were doing. I mean, look at that. That's so great. Yes. I mean, the interplay between them. Interplay. And really, I mean, just from my pure, you know, writer's perspective, but I'm like, look how he did that thing. Like the light that cuts across oblong. And I'm like, you know what? Uh. I know. Yeah, Elmer Leonard was shit. <laughs> he really was. Oh, he was 100%. Amazing. Like, he was amazing. Yeah. And he and, seemed to, like, cut himself down a lot. Like, oh, all I do is, you know, whatever. Or, you know, just put in the commas and shit later. Or he, he kind of had this swagger approach yeah. of, like, eh, it happens. But there's some real artistry there. Like, what you were just saying. Exactly. Yeah, he knew what he was doing. He may not yeah. have always pulled it off to... uh to the level he would have wanted, but I think that's what, I mean, all writers are that way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's not what you see in your head and what you get on the page are often two different things, but when he did it, it was, yeah, 310, um, rum punch, (laughs) you know, majority. They, um, um, swag, swag's another one I love. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, when he hits it out of the park, it's just gone. It's just, you know, it was great. Elmer's great. Yeah. 
So many. I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. Freaky Deaky was one yes. I remember really yes. enjoying. And oh my God. Out of sight. So good one. Out of sight is great. Though I kind of think I preferred the Scott Frank script, which is sacrilege, but I don't know. Well, a little yeah. bit. He kind of punched it up a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, Karen Sisko is such a wonderful character. So Yes. Yes. And that's why we've gotten the movie. The TV show, I think, isn't there talk about another yeah. one? I hope so, because that TV show was good. Did you watch it when it was on? I did. Carla Gugino, I love her. Yes. Carla is great. I watch her in everything that comes out. Yes. I know. Oh, she's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Well, kicking things off today, we do have two Cracker Jack adaptations, as we've been talking about, of the 1953 Western story, 310 to Yuma, mm-hmm. written by one of my favorite Western and crime masters, Elmore Leonard. The first time this was adapted to film was in 1957 by screenwriter Halstead Wells for director Delmer Daves, starring Van Heflin and Glenn Ford, whose birthday is today as we record this. Happy birthday to the late Glenn Ford. A certified classic about a drought-impoverished, down-on-his-luck rancher played by Van Heflin, who takes on the phenomenally risky job of escorting a notorious outlaw, Ben Wade, Glenn Ford, to justice. The psychologically gripping, crisply paced film crackles with tension and has been both preserved and restored by the National Film Registry by our Library of Congress as a work of cultural, historical, or aesthetic significance and released by the Criterion Collection as well. In 2007, screenwriters Michael Brandt and Derek Haas adapted the film and Leonard's story for a thrilling remake from director James Mangold, starring Christian Bale in the Van Heflin part and Russell Crowe in for Glenn Ford. Filled with top-notch actors in the supporting roles, including Peter Fonda, Gretchen Maul, Dallas Roberts, and Logan Lerman. The ultimate scene stealer in the remake for me is Ben Foster, who captured my attention in the same way that Edward Norton did in Primal Fear, Angelina Jolie in James Mangold's Girl Interrupted, and Mark Ruffalo did in You Can Count on Me. Your eye just goes right to him. It's charisma weaponized and a weird, wonderful, gutsy performance as Ben Wade's right-hand man, who you believe is more than a little attracted to and worshipful of his boss, Russell Crowe. I think both films are excellent. They're very different from a stylistic perspective. And you can see choosing either one of them, depending on what mood you're in. But I mostly watched the Mangold movie. And years back, I actually curated and hosted a film discussion and lecture of the movie because I couldn't wait to see it again on the big screen. So what are your thoughts on these films, Nikki, and the adaptations of Leonard's story? Um, so going into, I watched the, adapt, uh, the, the, the first adaptation of it. Gotcha. The Ford one. Yeah. And I saw what you'd written on Twitter about Glenn Ford and, you know, that, yes. his, that scene with the, 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 the barmaid. Bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, eh, all right, let's do this. And so, and I queued up and you get the, the song when you walk into it, I'm like, no, no, I'm down for this. I mean, even the song had me in. And I'm like, yeah. You know, yeah. It was a good up, song. You know? Yes. But it was like, it, it, if you're ready for it, it just sucks you in. It was so yep. great an experience to watch. 
Um, Glenn Ford charmed the pants off every person crossed his path in that role. Just yeah, and in real life. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a lot about the man. Oh, but I'll tell you after. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like every person, like just just from that the opening um stagecoast uh scene when um and mind you, I saw the Russell Crowe one in the theater in 2007. I haven't watched it since. Okay. So so when he at the stagecoast scene, when he shoots his own guy. And then shoot the other guy. I was like, yep, yep, yeah, we're doing this. It's hardcore. It <laughs> yeah. is hardcore. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, well, you know, we got to take care of this, you know, take care of this good man. And I'm like, yeah, there we are. We all have our rules, the laws, you know, the ethical outlaw. Yep. You know, you don't treat a man like that. You got to bury him where he lived, yada, yada. And I'm like, no, no, we're here for this. And yeah. then the barmaid, and, you know, he could have left, could have left. And nope. he was like, nope, I like her. And yes, he, you know, <laughs> he didn't have blue eyes, but that didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, he had this weird rapport. He'd go up to women and say like green eyes or blue eyes and she had brown eyes. But, you know, color didn't really matter. And then later he comes on to Van Heflin's wife and nope. her eyes. And yeah, it's he's lying and it works. And it's it a works. good line. Yeah, <laughs> it, is good, it is. Glenn Ford was excellent. I know. And, you know, like we were talking about before, uh, Dan, uh, the husband is Van Heflin. Is that what you said? Isn't it? Van yeah. Heflin. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the 57 adapt movie, he's so like already beaten down. He really so, is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, him and the kids are on the horse and, you know, the kids are like, what are you going to do? He's like, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here with you. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Like, he's already done. He's already out. Completely. Very resigned. Yeah. Yeah. And everything, just every interaction with his family mm-hmm. reinforces that. Like, there's nothing to do. There's nothing can be done. I can't go begging. I can't go do this. I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when he gets his chance to to save everybody, he still is just like, yeah it's it's just nothing he's just he's beaten yes, down he he's is. lost from the beginning and which is why i think the turn that you see um and and i'm why am i drawing a blank on what his name is what is Glenn? dan evans yeah What's no it? no Glenn Ford's character i oh ben wade Ben, thank you. I'm like, oh, I fine. know it. <laughs> ben Wade is so like that. That I think, I think it's done better in the 2007 version of it. But mm-hmm. the reason why he makes that turn to to be helpful, yeah, to, to you know get himself on the train, um, you you get that, and then suddenly there are you know the two men who are working together to, to accomplish a thing yeah one of them yep you know um um it's it's just so it was nice I mean like it's that's the I think the 57 version is the closest to the story because you get to the 2007 version and Russell Crowe and Christian Bale Mm -hmm. yeah that's just a bloody gory thing but yeah Ben Foster yeah the Charlie Prince in the 57 version I've seen the actor before and I can't 
Honestly, I want to say it was like in Columbo. Was he in a Columbo episode? He very well could have. Every I'm watching Columbo right now. I know. For anyone not <laughs> aware, basically everybody is in a Columbo episode at this yes. point. It's crazy. Yes. Mm. No, that's a really good point. And Glenn Ford, I mean, my goodness, he was usually um, like the leading man in these noir things or mm. uh, the heavy and... So it was really kind of bold of him to play uh, the villain in this. But in real life, I guess the man was quite a player. Really? He, uh, His son talked about he had over, I think he had very extensive diaries that he left. And it was over 147 of the top actresses. And he oh detailed God. his love lo- lives and exploits. He actually tapped like, his ex-wife Eleanor Powell's phone so to make sure that she didn't really know he was cheating on her and so Glenn Ford definitely knew his way into a woman's heart and into their bed and in a lot of things so he was quite the player and boy in this movie you really just see him turn it right on and uh I had seen the 2007 version first and Mm -hmm. so uh watching Russell Crowe you're just thinking well this is Russell Crowe you know just animal magnetism peak Russell (laughs) Crowe yeah peak Russell Crowe it's like Hmm. exactly I've told Nikki this story but when I showed this film uh, in Scottsdale Public Library Actually, it was during the scene with the barmaid when he's just like staring at her with this intensity of like, I want you with these like laser vision. This woman, an older woman in the auditorium just like forgot to breathe for a minute because it was so overwhelming. And she started to cough so hard that she had to like exit the auditorium and I didn't get what was going on. So I followed her out to make sure she's okay. And when she finally collected herself, the first words out of her mouth were, that man like just (laughs) took her breath away and so I just assumed that was straight up Russell Crowe being you know sexy Russell Crowe but um when I when you see the Glenn Ford version you're like no just Ben Wade had it going on Mm -hmm. um there are a lot of allusions to the 57 movie Mm -hmm. in um the 2007 one so yeah. yeah, things like that. I guess Tom Cruise wanted to play Ben Wade originally in the new mm-hmm. one. And I you can kind of see it, but it had to be Russell Crowe, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I think if it had been Cruise, I think when Tom Cruise gets in the character, I mean he's really he's there. So good, though. He does he completely disappears from Oh, he does. Like, he's, yeah. He's totally in it. But yeah. If it was him as Ben Wade, he still would have been Tom Cruise because that is a very hard to divorce it. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, cocky, self-assured, but let's just call it, you know, he's Top Gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's Maverick in the West. Yeah. yeah. You know, Russell Crowe was perfect for that. He was big, beefy, um, just. Sex on a stick, essentially. Just all head to toe. It was perfect for it. Yeah. Yeah. I did think that Charlie Prince in the new one, Ben Foster, definitely surpassed the original. Although um, the actor who played him in 57, and I'm blanking on it, was Mm -hmm. also very good. But um, Christian Bale was excellent. I think you understood Dan a little bit more in the newer version. They gave him 
uh, tragedy that had happened in the Civil War. You understood his children being more disappointed. There's um, this whole storyline involving the son in mm -hmm. a way yep. in the new version yep. that I liked a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, but they're very different movies and they're both just excellent. The, the original is more of like a taut psychological portrait of these two men interacting and sizing each other up and coming to respect one another. And yeah, I don't know. They're both really good movies. Yeah. The original, like I said, it's the 57 stays so close to the story Yes, that there's that passage in when they're in the bridal street. So you get from the start of the, you know, you look tired once you take a nap, I'll hold the shotgun for you. Yeah. All the way through the window and, you know, the seven to be between them and all of that. Like yep. that whole entire passage in the script, straight from yes. the script. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It was, it was just, it was a great moment for, I was like, oh yeah. I was like, shotgun, exclamation, exclamation. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it was so true to that. You know, I mean, like twelve-page story, like this, yes. this nearly two-hour movie is so close to that. And I mean, yeah, you get Dan's issues, but you also got, yeah, Charlie Prince wasn't as big a character as he is in the Russell Crowe one. Mm -hmm. But you know, the the you know his his crew, his crew was always there. You know, oh yeah, where we're gonna go? This is gonna be what happens. It doesn't matter. Oh, it's so yeah. eerie when they kind of descend on the town like that. It's like a horror movie in the original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The waiting and who's around yeah. the corner? Will they make it and all that? Yeah. Um, and then you get to the Russell Crowe version of that, and he doesn't. Have, he's lost a leg, but more than just being quote unquote less of a man because he's missing part of his leg. Um, you know, he's got. He's going to lose his land. He's going to lose his life. He's got a sick yeah. kid. He's yeah. got, you know, a son that doesn't think much of him, mm -hmm. you know, from that opening barn scene. Yeah. Uh, and, and no one thinks much of him. Um, no, he's completely underestimated and undervalued. Yeah. 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 And, and he does that to himself also. Yeah. He, he doesn't like, think much. They, yeah. He, they have good reason to think that of me. All I can do is try to provide for them. Yep. You, need a good, you know, you need a good shot. I'm a good shot. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's true. That whole extra scene with the, like, is there, there's not even a railroad in the 57 version, is there? Like, there's nothing no. really threatening. It's just the lack of water. Mm -hmm. That Did they need it to rain in that one, too? I don't remember now. God, was rain a thing in the 57? I don't um, think that in the 57? Yeah. Was that, was that an issue that they're... Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because um, at the end it rains. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. in the 2007 one, they see the rain coming. Yep. Clouds over Bisbee or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so then, yeah, and then in both of them, it just becomes he has to do this thing for himself, so he's seen better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, are we spoiling endings? Are we doing that? I guess we're spoiling. It's fine. I'll put a little warning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, 57, you know, yeah. He, you know, Dan Evans and Ben Wade are, you know, waving at his wife as they get out because they're on the train to you. Yeah. Success. 
And then 2007, Christian Bale dies. He totally dies. Yes. I forgot. I was like, you know, riding the high from the, the first one and like back to back. And I'm like, okay, okay. Oh my God. Like I'm gasping yeah. in my kitchen. Like I have never seen this. <laughs> you know, I was so, I really thought, you know, like Ben Wade, he's like, oh, look, you did it. Look, didn't you? Yeah. You know, and then he has to watch this man who's become his friend in a way. Yeah. Somebody um, he yeah. respects. Yeah. At least. Yeah. I mean, he respect. That is. Yeah. Close to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And it's just the, I mean, obviously it's the 50 years of difference mm-hmm. that, you know, how cinema's changed, but it was awful bloody and gory. <laughs> it, was it was very bloody compared, comparative. Oh yeah. Yeah. The 57 one is pretty, pretty tame uh, yeah. in comparison. <laughs> Alex's death scene in the street or when he like first gets hit and he's like, you know, he falls and then he like twitches and then he like rolls <laughs> over. And I'm like, it's been like a minute. Aren't you dead? Yes. I know. And then he's not really dead because then they hang him. Like yeah. that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I was like, a whole other thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then I like. I think I like the '57 version more for how they used uh, Alice Evans. The, his I wife. agree. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she was a little. I don't know. She had. She more was there. To, yeah. Come home. You don't have to do this. You know the the thing that he was worried about. She was there to tell him. You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever you think, you're wrong. You can do this. Just come home. Yeah. Everybody's telling him to go home in both movies, but in the one, his wife comes to him and said stop what you're doing. This is ridiculous. Come home. And yeah. They, one, yeah. They, they kind of passed some of her uh, reassurance or what she was trying to do. They passed it on to the son, I yeah. think in the 2007 version. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to see how they handled the wives in these movies that are so dominated by men. Um, Gretchen Mall is a really good actress. And yes, I also, Gretchen, how are you going to like leave Gretchen on the cutting room floor? I know they I had know. to go. Yeah, they could have totally done more there with him, uh, with her. But yeah, I was trying to remember who it was in the 57 version. I am <laughs> I know it's not loading on my computer, which is fun. Let's see. Hold on. I have it on my phone. IMDb is my favorite thing ever. Leora Dana is Alice Evans in the original. Yeah, she did have more agency. She was trying to get in there and help. Exactly. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'm going to get mine. I'm not going to stand for this. But yeah, she she went to go get him. And then Gretchen Maul, once they leave the house, she's just gone Mm -hmm. in in the 2007 version. I love Logan Lerman, though. I I think he's Oh, he was really good. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Um, really good cast. And even bit parts like Peter Fonda has a very small role. Luke Wilson yes, shows up for I, like two minutes. Yeah. I was like, that's Peter. Isn't that Peter Fonda? Like, I know. I don't know why I forget he's in it every time I watch it. I'm like, you know, and he's wait. in it for a long time. Yes. Like, yeah. Peter, yeah. I'm sorry. You're not normally forgettable. I don't know why no. I keep forgetting. No. It's so, I mean, there's so, honestly, I feel like it's really just Ben Foster because he shows up. Yeah, and, and dominate. everybody pale. <laughs> like just Ben Foster is the best thing in most things. And he's just he really is. beyond the way he plays him. 
like the the shootout. Can we talk about the shootout? Oh the god! <laughs> the yes. way they reinvented that for two thousand seven was so great. Yeah, like it was not. You know, the in the 57 version, it was like, oh, I thought you said there was just a few. There's like seven or eight. And I'm like, that is a few, fellas, but okay. <laughs> and then, you know, they're like, amp that, you know, 10 times that, mm-hmm. that the whole town against them. Yeah. And, and, you know, Charlie, he's like, no, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. And he kills like five people, make them stop. I know. That's the end there. I mean, yes. That was such a great turn for the the choice for them to make in that script. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's the shout out about like, don't shoot the guy in the black hat or whatever. And part of me as a writer is like, well, at this point, Dan, change the damn hats. But anyway. You know, of course, that's a complaint. You know, as soon as that comes out of Ben Foster's mouth, you're like, somebody do something different with the hats, but they can't. It's the whole symbolism thing. Yeah. The and Western. he the point of picking the hat up and he's carried it through to this moment so he can throw it up to him at the window. Yeah. Down to give him his hat back. So that's. Yeah. 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 Charlie Prince is a little attached. A little attached. I, I love it when there's like a homoerotic undercurrent going on in like these overtly masculine movies. They're like, that's mm-hmm. my favorite thing. Definitely my shit. And mm-hmm. so when I watched it, I was like, ooh, that's interesting. And I did notice afterwards when people walking out, like, did he kind of like Russell Crowe or was that just me? Like guys going like, was it just yeah. me or did he like, no man, he was into Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the scene in the bar when Russell Crowe sees the beautiful woman and Ben mm-hmm. Foster like notices him looking at her yeah. and is jealous almost to the point yeah. of, you know, we could go now, boss. Like, let's yeah. get out of here. <laughs> like, come with me. Don't go seduce her. Like, come on, what are you doing? And um, yeah. so Foster plays that really well. His outfits are, <laughs> he's definitely given very posh, um, I would say like in generational parlance, like a metrosexual, like he's more stylish. And um, so, yeah, his character is just so much fun. Very much so, very much so. And he's just, he's the second baddest man on the screen, (laughs) like in their game. He's like, you know, he's there to, yeah, back up uh, Ben Wade. Yeah. like he's already been, he proved himself to him. And so I'll almost bow down to Ben Wade now because Charlie Prince says he's God, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, which is why he says, isn't it in that one? He says, you know, do you think you can run this tank uh, crew better or something like that? Yes. So the guy who wants, he's like, oh, he had his chance. And he's like, we don't leave him behind. No. Would have left anybody else, but you're not going to leave Ben. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. he's he's into him. It's Ben Foster, and he's defending a Ben. I just put that together. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah. No. Yeah. Such, such a great story from Elmore Leonard and two mm-hmm. really entertaining adaptations. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, sticking with adaptations, next up, we have a modern day masterpiece from a modern master, Brokeback Mountain from director Ong Lee based upon the 1997 short story of the same name by Annie Proulx, which was expanded slightly in her Pulitzer-nominated 1999 collection of short stories, Close Range, Wyoming Stories. 2005's Brokeback Mountain was adapted by the great Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana, uh, his regular writing partner, 
starring Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Williams, and Anne Hathaway, the epic decade-spanning love story begins in 1963 as young cowboys Ennis Del Mar, Ledger, and Jack Twist, Gyllenhaal, meet while herding sheep for a fateful summer on the eponymous Brokeback Mountain, where they fall in love. Assuming their passionate sexual relationship was just a one-time thing, years later, when the two meet once again, after both have married and started families, they pick up right where they left off, sneaking away a few times a year together under the guise of going fishing, chronicling the ups and downs in their lives and relationship particularly against the backdrop of the macho West of cowboys and rodeo bull riders. It's a brilliant, subtly understated and heartbreaking work that I've come to love more each time I see it. I had read and loved Cruel Story back when the film was released, but it had been 16 years, obviously, since I last read it. So I was very glad you chose this film. What are your thoughts on the story and Brokeback Mountain? The story... Annie Prue, I mean, really just, Kills I think me. there's only two Western writers that I love. And one, Thomas McGuane, mm-hmm. he's just stunning work. Um, but Annie Prue, hands down, um, conveys uh, that life like nobody else I've ever read. Yes. Um um, you think you're getting, when I reread the story, you know, you're getting, it's a simple thing. It's the, you know, the clear, just simple sentences. And then she'll throw in, you know, just something majestic. Like I don't yes. have any other words for it. She's elegant. And mm-hmm. her story of these men, young men um, falling into something that they don't, have words for mm-hmm. it just it was just it stunned me when I read it the first time and I was so excited when I heard that it was getting adapted yeah and then when I found it was Larry McMurtry I was like the lonesome dub dude yes I know. okay yes this is going to be the best thing ever <laughs> and then you know when you hear the people who are going to be attached to it you know Ang Lee and Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal I mean it just um um obviously people who've become bigger actors since then um and who died before their time yes oh Um, heartbreaking i know yeah he's stunning he's stunning in it just his transformation in the movie is just uh but to see these characters come alive in those actors like i don't i can't picture anybody else playing jack or ennis del mar i just yeah i've read some of the options they were thinking of Matt Damon and Joaquin Phoenix for Gus Van Sant. And Matt Damon had a funny line to Gus. He said, you know, I was in a gay movie, Talented Mr. Ripley, and followed it up with a a cowboy movie, which was All the Pretty Horses. And he said, I can't do right after that a gay cowboy movie because it was it would have been this was, I think, in 2003 or just like Mm -hmm. a couple of years And uh, so he backed out and then Ang Lee got attached. And yeah, yeah, I think Gyllenhaal and Ledger are just perfect for this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the great Larry McMurtry um, and uh, Diana Osana, but that, that, that their screenplay Mm -hmm. 
is really just is is a equally its own magnificent work. It really is. Um, how they expanded um, and gave life to the wives who are only briefly. Yes, mentioned. they're only referenced uh, briefly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the Jack Twist wife in particular. I mean, do you, I don't even think you see her in the story. We don't know anything about her really. No. Yeah. I, I married, a, a, I married somebody, you know, I had a kid too. Yeah. You know, Cute rodeo girl or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, I guess the, the story in both versions um, is Ennis's story. Yep. And it everything is. is, I mean, it surrounds him. It diverts from him because you need to see that. I mean, Jack Twist's life, but it, it, it is his because he's the one I think who has the hardest time carrying yeah. the responsibility of being in love with someone he hadn't expected and knowing the limitations of what, the world is willing to let him do and what he's willing to let himself do. Yes, too. absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm sorry, <sighs> the movie. The yes. Movie. Oh, you get that, that classic shot. I've seen stills of it. Um, of, you know, um, uh, Heath Ledger as Ennis leaned up against the blue of the trailer waiting for everybody to show up and the oh, hat God. down. He's mm-hmm. smoking his foot crossed. I mean, like that shot with the door. I mean, that is the shot. Right. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. It is that. And then you get the train coming through and blocking him out. And then every time you see him, he's lifting the cigarette. Like I spent a long time on this opening scene. I watched it, it a bunch of times too, because I love how they don't like look at each other directly. Yes. Yes. Which, which is another are. thing in the movie. It's yeah. very much angles and periphery <laughs> and um, I noticed that when I watched it, I had not noticed it before. Last fall, I was sent this big focus features box to review, mm-hmm. and it was like 10 movies. And mm-hmm. when I got to Brokeback Mountain, I mean, you go in, you're like, oh, this was so wonderful, but it's going to kill me. But yeah. you watch it, and I just started really appreciating what Ong Lee was doing in that movie. And it comes right from the screenplay, which is very pared down. Mm-hmm. But like when Gyllenhaal gets out of the truck, at the beginning like he kind of is there to posture like he's more confident and Mm -hmm. is is ready to you know talk to him or whatever and ledger had famously said he was playing it like a clenched fist and you can kind of see that in his posture and And his face even his face yes he's always carries his mouth and his jaw like all of this all of his mouth all of that lower part of his face Mm -hmm. never changes and they just add makeup to like his eyes to give him wrinkles but this lower job, the work, the transformation in his jaw is everything. That is in us. I know. Yeah, it really is. All of that. (laughs) And (laughs) the fist, I thought, was such a perfect analogy because he is somebody who, when he doesn't know what to do, like after they have their first summer together, um, Mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to let go or what to do with that. So he, you know, clobbers uh, Gyllenhaal and punches him out. And um, so his fist, he uses his fist when he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't really use his voice very much. Mm -hmm. And it's just exquisite. And what I love so much is even, I mean, the physical descriptions of these men in the story are quite different, actually. But what they do in the film, you can't imagine anyone else playing it. And they're kind of checking each other out from afar, almost like there is a little bit of a rodeo 
uh, element to their own relationship. Like Ledger is a bull almost, mm -hmm. you know, and like, don't get too close to him. It's going to scare him off too quickly. But there's so many great moments where like you see the corner of a rear view mirror or the side mirror of a truck or Hall in one of the best, I think, kind of quick moments. He is peeling potatoes and yeah. he's using a knife. Yeah. So, you know, there is a reflective surface there, but also you just, his eye never really darts over but to Ledger, <laughs> but it's, it's very quick and it's very like, he is aware that mm -hmm. Ledger is washing up nude near him. I mean, just like, yeah, it's just a really fascinating movie about this environment kind of like almost swallowing them up and how the environment of the West is oppressing them and they don't know how to handle it. But yeah, such an amazing film. And it's, yeah, in the, the beginning on, to come off of that, the, the, the wilderness is yes. where they come together. And towards, and as the years go by and every time they meet, it's a little pocket of a dream, I think, for them. Yeah. Like in the, in the story itself, um, Jack comes to Ennis in his dreams after he dies. Yeah. And I think in the movie, they convey that like every time they come together, it's the scene before is usually some kind of aggressive yeah. um, real world. They've had some confrontation. I think in one, you know, Ennis is like gotten in a fight with um, uh, Michelle oh, Williams. I can't even think of her name. Michelle, um, Michelle Williams. Yes. That her yeah. character, his ex-wife. Mm -hmm. um, and so he goes and he like, almost gets hit and like ends up in a fight with this guy and gets his ass handed to him. Yeah. And he immediately cut to them on horseback and, you know, the music changed, the lights different and it's just, you know, huge trees and them and their little horses. And it's just this pocket of unrealness. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you don't see that beauty in the city like that. You yeah, know, they're crossing streams and they're together and they're just you see them like looking at each other, but there's an easiness there that mm -hmm. neither one of them have in Anywhere. their real life. No. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, um, and I think it's that one. Uh in that after they have that fight, um, where they cut to my favorite thing is when he tells them you're sleeping standing up. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful moment. Yeah. And you don't get that because that's from their first summer together. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, you know, you're, you're sleeping, standing up. I got to go. I got to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just holds him for that minute. And he's like petting the fur of his collar. And it's I just know. beautiful. That moment is what I think Jack's character is constantly chasing. That, yeah. To, to recreate constantly. Like this that could be our life. Yeah. And Ennis knows that that's not how the world works. No, not you know? at all. And Jack is refusing to see it, even though he knows that too. But yeah, like they, they got under each other's skin so early. Like there's no, there's no room for anybody else. Not really. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that dream feeling, um, it goes throughout the film and it's right there in Pruel's story as mm -hmm. well of like, I actually did copy some of my favorite things from the story. During the day, Ennis looked across a great gulf and sometimes saw Jack, a small dot moving across a high meadow as an insect moves across a tablecloth. Jack in his dark camp saw Ennis as night fire, a red spark on the huge black mass of a mountain 
I mean, it's beautiful, but it's almost like they don't know how to approach that each other and are they real? And it's like a, it almost exists in a dream world, their relationship, especially early on. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really exquisite and it would probably take somebody like Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana to do it, but they took her amazing last line, which is one of my favorite last lines ever. And they give it to Ennis like early on into the film, pretty cool, pretty quickly. I think it was, um, Maybe the first time they go away uh, camping together. This was after um, the first summer. Yeah. I think it was yeah. in that moment. Then they come but back after four years apart. That one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they give it to Ennis, which is this is how it reads in the story. There was some open space between what he knew and what he tried to believe, but nothing could be done about it. And if you can't fix it, you've got to stand it. That yeah. last section about if you can't fix it, you've got to stand it. Nothing can be done. That sums up Ennis perfectly. And I so it was really cool when I read the story first and then watched the movie again last week. It's like, oh, wow, they picked the perfect place and the perfect character to bring those words to life. Yeah. yeah. And I think in that first uh, reconnection, the reunion of them, they're both flat out saying, this is who I am. Yep. And neither, like, neither one of them really accepting <laughs> what the other is saying. No. Keep coming together. And, like, Ennis is going to think he's finally going to just be like, we have right now. And be yeah. okay with that. And Jack is constantly going, just come with have, me. Yeah. Do this thing. We could have something. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think, in the, in the movie, they build up that he's got, he's got money. He doesn't worry about that anymore. He's got um, yes, he does. You know, yeah, a, a a solid foundation of support underneath him. So he's not worried about being poor and destitute and, and eating ke- yeah. and ban- uh, beans from a can anymore. No, yeah. I yeah. mean, but even though after that first summer, I think, I mean, you see at the end of the movie really what his parents, how they lived in Lightning Flat. You don't get the sense that they had anything more than in a stick. No. Um, but even after when the first summer, when they get called off the mountain early mm-hmm. and like, you know, he's cutting us out uh, and this is like, you're cutting us out of a month of pay. And he's like, I'll give you money. I mean, you need a loan. I'll give it to you. And he's like, that's not the point. He's always been like, this is not, Jack's not worried about it. Yeah. You need it like here, just, just take it. He's not worried about money, even though he obviously needs it. Yeah. I mean, you get lines from him later on about he can't afford a roping horse, I think, in the movie. Yeah, exactly. On the rodeo. And it was more expensive than he anticipated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he he just cared, I think, um, and put his priorities a little differently. And I think with Ennis, you really get a sense out of what this guy grew up with, which is uh, his parents died when he was fairly young and then his brother and sister took care of him he only had one year of high school i liked it in the story when they said he really wanted to be a sophomore it was so heartbreaking because he thought it was a fancier word or he liked the sound of it and uh but he couldn't do it and so they only had i think 24 dollars in a coffee can something like that to their name when the parents died so he knew that he had to work and that basically work and money was going to keep him alive and yeah yeah. and I think one of the tragedies about their relationship is 
you know, you want to think it could have worked the way Jack saw it. Like we could have gotten a ranch together. Let's be honest. I mean, maybe not what Ledger warned him about, which is seeing something horrible, mm-hmm. uh, a gay man who'd been um, just destroyed. I mean, like, yes. Yeah. Was, tortured yeah. with a yeah. tire iron by possibly his father, uh, a mm-hmm. gang of men when he was young and that stayed with him. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're like wondering, was there a happy medium somewhere in between there? They probably like what they did uh, getting together a few times of the, of the year was like hardly tenable, but it was one option. And then Jack had his head in the clouds, like we're going to get a ranch and we could be free. And it's like where never the twain shall meet, like where would they actually yeah. live? Yeah. yeah. And it's just so, yeah, you don't even get to the end the the property that Jack had been really talking implying was actually yes. his parents' place. Yeah. You no, know, like, you know, and and uh, that scene, that end, I can't even. Oh, <laughs> with devastating. Oh my yeah. god. Yes. And, but, you know, like the mother and the father, obviously on different sides on the subject of their son. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, could her eyes have been any bigger when she's like looking at him and like, you'll come back, won't you? Like, you know. Yeah. You know, her last connection to her son is Would this be Ennis. She obviously yep. knows. Is some, yeah, she knew. They knew about their son. Oh, and yeah. She accepted him for that. Yeah. Because um, you can read right between the lines the dad gives about, yeah, he had some big ideas that he would come up here with a man named Ennis. And then mm-hmm. recently it was someone else. And yeah. that in itself was very devastating. Um, yeah. And on yeah. purpose. On purpose. purpose. Like, yeah, to show you. You know, yeah. this is the kind of man my son was. You weren't important. How, you know, and he yeah. was out to hurt him because mm-hmm. he was hurt because his son wasn't what he wanted. And it's just so, yeah, devastating. Oh. devastating. On par with him finding the shirt in the closet. Oh like, my God. <laughs> I know. When he finds the shirt, it kills me. And the mm-hmm. mom puts it in that sad paper bag with the sound on the soundtrack because it's such a quiet house. And then yeah. the the crinkling of the pla- of the paper bag. It's like mm-hmm. I remember in the theater, like I can barely breathe. I'm gonna start crying again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was yeah. yeah, such a beautiful <laughs> film. Every time I watch it, though, I'm like, this didn't win Best Picture. Why? Like it. Yeah. I mean, it's what, what so bad. Uh, that year was Crash. That was the oh, year. That's Not right. Cronenberg, the really bad Paul Haggis crash. Um, I actually looked up the nominees that year and I made yeah. a little chart on Twitter if I can find it. Yeah, it was. Um, I said, the more I watched this, the more I thought it should really have won Best Picture. And that was the year we also had Munich, which I would probably put second. Very good mm-hmm. film. Steven Spielberg, to me, it had like 45 endings. So it's like, mm-hmm. I love it, except too many endings, and uh, but they're really close. And then Good Night and Good Luck was a really excellent film. Yes. So I yeah. would have been happy with any of those three. And then uh, Capote, which if you want to be like Jack Nicholson that year, I'll never forget, he introduced it as Capote. So it made me laugh so hard. So now whenever I see uh, Capote, I, I think of Jack Nicholson uh, saying Capote. But yeah. um and then crash. So basically the worst option yes. in that year. Yeah. And that's the only reason anybody remembers it because it was such a bad choice in a year of good films. That Very one, good films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Cause like 
Good Night and Good Luck on its own is just so rewatchable. Such just, a good film. Yeah. Know, David Spithern. Um, yeah. Oh, I she love did, him. Always, yeah. But yeah. He was excellent in that. But all of those movies, except Crash. Any yes. of them. <laughs> I know. I I go back and forth too because it's really heartbreaking when you think of Philip Seymour Hoffman and he won for Capote and it's like boy we lost him and we lost Ledger and that's devastating especially because as much as I love Philip Seymour Hoffman I kind of think I I think Ledger maybe should have gotten it that year it's really really hard I wanted Phil to get it for other movies and you always do it's sort of like by that point like we need to give a psh an award already because we're ridiculous um and he was excellent in that movie don't get me wrong but yeah but yeah it's it's so tough when you go back and you watch these it kind of shows you the pointlessness sometimes of the oscars but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but what about ong lee i mean just like with sense and sensibility you can plug this guy in anywhere and he can yeah. find the humanity of the film and just knock it out of the park. Yeah. Beautiful work consistently. It is just, yeah, he's a selling point. He's one of the few directors um, as much as I love movies. I just kind of love movies in general, but there mm-hmm. are those directors that I'm like, who's got a movie coming out. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. I don't care yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's one of them. Um, um, consistently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful work. Um, and, and it is, he always, I feel like finds the right people. It gets the right performance out of the person, even if they, he didn't have a hand yeah. at picking them, he gets that performance out of them. And it's just, yeah, it's always beautiful. It really is. Do you have any other favorites that he's done or? Um, I, the one I want to think, I really want to like double check. Hold on. I'm going to oh, double sure, check. You're fine. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, there's nothing quite like I love this one. He didn't do that one. Mm-mm, oh, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love Only, but Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes. Oh, that brilliant, one. brilliant um, movie. Oh, and that was him behind Lust Caution. I didn't yes. realize it was him behind Lust Caution. I, love I know it so doesn't fit in with what you would imagine. You're like Only cool. made this. Yeah. Yeah. Even like I, I don't love it, but Hulk. Like yeah. you're like that's yeah. right. Ongly yeah. made Hulk. Yeah, the Ed Norton one. No, or the, the Eric, uh, Eric Banner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Which I like that one. I need to give it another watch because I I wasn't like a huge fan then, but so yeah. many people have come out like in defense of it that I really need to give it another watch. Yeah, yeah that's the the Nick. I was like, who else is? Is that the Nick Nolte one? Yeah, Nick Nolte and Eric in that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Was Jennifer yeah. Connelly or my like? Yeah, that's okay. the one. She's Betty Ross. Betty oh, Ross. Right. Betty Ross. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, and he also did the Ice Storm. He's very drawn to literature. Mm-hmm. And um, what else did oh, he yeah. do? Life of Life of Pi. Eat, drink, yeah. man, woman. The wedding yeah. banquet. Yeah. He's yeah. No, Ice Storm. Amazing. Really, like that's another one. Um, yeah, the story. I read that first, and then I saw the the movie. Which one? Uh, Ice Storm, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. one. Um, God, isn't Elijah Wood in that? Yes. Yeah. 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 I just remember that it was the the the, the party. I have a story. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Tell the story. Oh, oh no. I meant when you're done. Oh, okay. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Tell the story. Oh, my gosh. Um, so my grandparents, uh, this isn't like my 
they're my late they're all late uh but this wouldn't be my italian grandma who's like hey let's all watch cocktail as a family not her i'm talking about like my czechoslovakian grandma uh so they used to get the tv guide and Mm -hmm. if a movie had you know more than three or four stars they would just watch it and they obviously watched the ice storm I mm-hmm. went over to the family for like some family function. I don't know which holiday or event it was, but like, so all the relatives are there out of the just clear blue sky, like top of her lungs. My grandma, we watched the ice storm. Jenny, what's a key party? Just top of her, like, I don't know how old would I have been? Was it like 98? <laughs> I was 17. I mean, I knew what a key party was. Hello. Yeah. But um, <laughs> your grandma, and so I, I think I laughed for like two minutes and then I just said, I don't know, grandma. I really don't. And then just had to like turn around and walk away. <laughs> so right somebody answer. would have told her, yeah, what, what a key party was, but I wasn't going to have that talk with my, uh, my Czechoslovakian really elderly. <laughs> yeah. Grandma, mm-hmm. that would have been too strange. Yeah. No, that that's yeah. up there on the, the, the awkward. The yeah. 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 <laughs> It's like I took my mother-in-law to go see Love Actually, and the whole the oh the gosh, yeah, <laughs> that was a little too much. I will never yeah. forget. Yeah, I was like, they're really good. Oh, this is on a a sex stage. Okay, yeah, fluffers. <laughs> okay, I get that. Or they, you know, they yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, stand-ins, stand-ins for the. I didn't see that coming. I I didn't realize. No. Yeah, and I'm there with my. She's not. She very nice, but it yeah. was like. She's my husband's mother. This yeah. is not what we had signed up for. No, not at all. I know. Now that I think about it, we've never we never went to the movie again. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, did you pick that one, Nikki? That was my choice. We oh, never no. Oh, that's hilarious. She was probably like, like I can't do it again. And yeah. Yeah. No, I picked love actually. It was Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. knew? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that is anyway. so funny. <laughs> Oh my God. The weird things that you watch with family, everyone. No. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh. oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, Ang Lee, great filmmaker. Great. Yes. Wonderful film, broke back. Yeah. So closing out, any thoughts on adaptations before we move on to Young Guns? It it's it's a wonderful thing um to 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 see work transformed like that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, when I was a kid, I read a lot of novelizations. So like, if I went and saw the movie, I was always looking for the book to show up soon. <laughs> <laughs> because I, because for me, when I was a kid, that's how I thought it took place. Like if there was, I distinctly remember like the Superman uh, uh, novelization coming out. I remember uh-huh. that. And, and I love and novelizations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how I thought that took place. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized it. Cause I used to be like, this is no good. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, so these two things can be good. They mm-hmm. can be good. And, and, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a good one, you know, that that's everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, I got lucky. And one of my teachers in school was Audrey Neffenegger. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Wife. Time traveler's wife. Yes. I adore that. I mean, like, even before I knew her, I was like, everybody should book. read this, read yeah. it now. Um, and she mentioned once that she's not a big fan of the movie. 
Okay. And I'm like, that. I can would, see that. Her, that would just be like, would just like break my heart as a right, like to, to yeah. have people finally transform and have it be like, this is what you did with it. <laughs> yes. You did what? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. That is just so like, uh, uh, yeah, devastating. So, I mean, you know, here's to all the, the, the heartfelt attempts um, for, for good adaptations. You know? Yes. I know. And basically this is, might hit a record here of the number of movies relating to Eric Bana in a single podcast. Yes. Because he's in that. He was in Hulk. Munich. Yes. In Hulk. Jesus, yep. Eric, you're everywhere. And yes. he also, I guess, wanted to play uh, Ben Wade at one point. And I'm like, really? See, now he would have been good. I can see that. Yeah. 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 Maybe just over Tom Cruise trying to be that level of sexy. That would have been interesting. Yep. Yeah, Maybe I, Tom Cruise in the nineties. Uh, I mean, he's still he's still an attractive man, of course. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Not about uh, the fact that he's not attractive because he is. It's playing the bedroom-eyed guy, though. Yeah. yeah. Like he's not. He doesn't really do that that much. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Really, the the. I think I was over him for a long time, and then War of the Worlds came out. Oh, okay. He was like, I sat there and watched it in the theater because I every version of War of the Worlds I have sat for. I okay. just have a thing for that movie, of uh, that that work. Gotcha. Um, but in that, he for me completely disappeared into it. Mm-hmm. I believed it. He's running for Dakota. You know, he's he's lost his kid. He's killing Tim Robbins. I was down. For <laughs> <all>. <laughs> he's yeah. He he will break his neck to entertain you always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. most things now, he's, it's always Tom Cruise um, in Mission Impossible. <laughs> that seems matter. to be his mode. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He's, it is Tom Cruise in a role. It is yep. Tom Cruise first, though. It's yeah. yeah. You see the Cruise, and you're like, okay, it's hard to separate. When you yeah. were talking about novelizations, it reminded me because I used to love to read those as well. And I remember as a kid, I read one for a walk in the clouds of all the movies. I, I, I love that film though. But anyway, I remember I read the novelization and when I went to see the movie, I was like telling people like, we'll see what he's thinking is because I read the, yes. and somebody finally told me, you know, that's, that was written after the fact or whatever. And yeah. it just was like, what? Uh, you mean my girl and Batman were different, you know, like yeah. the book of Batman. I have a bookmark next uh, behind me, actually. And I spun around yeah. to see what it said. It says, never judge a book by its movie. Yes. So you can go either way. Don't judge the movie by the book or vice versa. Yeah. So yeah. Everybody read Time Traveler's Wife. Maybe be a little leery of some of Eric Bana's choices, but he's a great actor, though. Yeah. Okay. Well, well moving. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, we could do a whole episode on that. Yeah, <laughs> we could do too many episodes, Nikki. Well, moving away from adaptations to discuss the westerns we probably grew up watching, we wound up working Young Guns into today's proceedings. So it's a 1988 Brat Pack western retelling of the legend of Billy the Kid during the Lincoln County War. Screenwriter John Fusco and director Christopher Kane's film stars Emilio Estevez as Billy the Kid, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Charlie Sheen, Dermot Mulroney, Casey Simasco, 
Terrence Stamp, Terry O'Quinn, Brian Keith, and Jack Palance. First of all, everyone listening, can you imagine what it must have been like to work on the set with all of those egos in one movie? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like how many yeah. people live to tell that tale? And I noticed <laughs> it had a different director for Young Guns too. It's like that guy was probably like, never again. And yeah. they didn't, yeah. I mean, some of the characters died, but they didn't get everybody back either. But it was a successful hit that went straight to number one at the box office and was followed by a sequel in 1990. It's an entertaining historical document, not only for its chronicle of Billy the Kid, but also given the number of 80s and beyond stars in one big movie. It's holy team heartthrobs, everyone. A librarian friend of mine said when she reshelves uh, the movie at the library, people still affectionately call it hot buns or young buns. Yes, young buns. I missed out on that part. I know. I hadn't seen this film since childhood, so it was cool to revisit. It really didn't work for me this time around because it's kind of all over the place, tonally and narratively. But I remembered the Lou Diamond Phillips character very well. Like his arc was really affecting. I remember when I was a kid. I didn't have enough time this week to squeeze in the second movie for a rewatch. I did start it. So I'm very excited to pick it up because I know many people prefer it. And I'm eager to watch the whole thing again to see how it stacks up. But how about you, Nikki? What's your relationship to Young Guns or Young Buns or however you want to call it? Yes. I think I talked to my parents and let me see it at the theater. Did you? Okay, gotcha. Uh, 88, I would have been 14. Okay. Um, I think I got in to see it. I think um, either that. But I also know that I watched it every time it showed up on TV. It was on TV all the time. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I watched it every single time. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, I, all of those movies, like around that time, I mean, like you said, Brat Pack movies. Yeah. uh, Brat Pack Western. It's, it's, you know, they were young and they were, you know, just, they were hot. They were, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, they were definitely, you know, teen beat poster material. Oh yeah. Um, Teen Beat, Tiger Beat, all those magazines. They were just, they were all over those. Yeah. Yes. Um, And really like this time around, it's like that all I I was like, oh my God, look at Kiefer Sutherland. How beautiful. My gosh. Yes. I mean, him, I mean, yeah, they're all young. That was the other thing. Like they're so Mm -hmm. young, but God, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, just hands down, like the most beautiful. They, they should be bigger stars than than they yeah. were than they are yeah. um, um they are so excellent um and that uh kind of in my head chavez had more lines that's I what i know yeah when he gave the big speech about <laughs> his people and you know being massacred or the beef or the whole speech there like mm-hmm. I, that came right back but I don't know why I thought like his arc, he had more to do. And that was another issue. It was like, okay, there's too many of these guys and they're not giving him enough to do, especially like Lou Diamond Phillips. Yes. Um, and the Kiefer Sutherland character, I didn't think that thing worked very well, but I mean, he's such a fun actor and this is yeah. not his most beautiful. Yes. Yeah. And he was completely in it. I mean, there's. Yeah. They're um, going for it. 
honestly, every time he had blood on his face, I was like, Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Didn't that come out the year before? 87, right? So. Yeah. 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 I know I saw that. <laughs> Did you see that at the theater? Yes. Or Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it was so, <sighs> there's so, Honestly, I just can't get over how, like, they're just, how did they all exist at the same time? Yeah. Frequently, this is what I'm thinking. I know. Uh, watching that. Uh, you know, also, oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say what popped into my uh, head when I was watching it. First of all, like, I could only remember Chavez, basically, mm-hmm. um, is they kind of cast these people against type. Like, mm-hmm. you got Emilio playing what should have been the Charlie Sheen role. And almost Kiefer Sutherland should have been the Emilio role. And I was thinking, oh, they could have, yeah, swapped these out. But it was cool to see him try new things. So you have Emilio, who's supposed to be one of the nicest guys ever, playing this, like, you know, braggadocious. Basically, he's playing his brother, Charlie Sheen. But, yeah, so that was, like, a total uh, 180 from what I was expecting. Yes. (laughs) 100% between the two of the Estevez brothers there. Amelia wins hands down. I'm oh sorry. yeah, absolutely. Down. Like I don't understand why Charlie Sheen had the bigger career because no, Amelio, maybe it's just the roles they picked. I don't know. Yeah. Who like my Who knows? Yes. my ex is still mad at Amelia Estevez for marrying Paula Abdul. Maybe that did it. <laughs> oh, oh, he was it's he because was. they were married. Oh no, I remember that. But your ex was mad about that, like. Yeah, oh yeah, he had a huge crush on Paula Abdul. <laughs> uh, so an entire generation was like, screw you, Emilio, you took Paula. She's forever our girl, basically. Yes, yes. yes Got yes. to remember. I was, now I'm going to get that in my head. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, 80s babies. What do we yeah. do? But yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Yeah. But there's a moment, like the, I think every, like the, the one thing that struck me in it was also the music a lot of the time, the soundtrack for the movie. Because yeah. there's a, like 15 minutes in, there's like a little segment of music. And I'm like, this belongs, it's like flutey and something. It belonged in like about last night or, okay. or. <laughs> yeah, it's like, very 80s. <laughs> yes, but like this one, like it's a different movie. And I'm like, okay, no, you're putting your stamp on it. We understand. Yeah. You know, they didn't have anybody big. Like you get John Bon Jovi in the next movie. In the next movie. Yep. Yeah. Um. But it's just, yeah, it's, I like it better. It's a fun flick, I think. Um, um, if you don't, if you just let it wash over you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, don't watch it for historical fact. No. Although it was weird when I was looking it up, I guess some historian at the time said it was the most accurate Billy the Kid movie that they'd seen. Really? to that point but then i was wondering how many billy the kid movies have we had and like yeah. none of them are accurate so i think he was making a joke about okay. probably pat garrett and billy the kid you know the bob dylan movie or something so i'm thinking it was a joke but somebody entered it into wikipedia thinking this is so cool it's so accurate you guys and i'm like no, no. yeah no. no i mean for that one i think the second one is trying to actually correct the record yeah so in the second one um which I like finished watching right before we started uh-huh. they on like the end of it, they tell you where everybody was at. Okay. At the end of it, everybody who lives or everybody who ended up somewhere, they, they, they tell you about that. Okay. Um, um, cool. and that framing device where the old guy at the beginning. Yeah. And who he is. And you get that at the end. So 
Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah I'm looking forward to finishing that one. Uh, can soon. We, yeah. Yes. Can we talk about yen though? Like I completely yeah. forgot about Doc's, you know, love interest. Oh story. yes. Our beautiful quote unquote China doll. That was, yes, that was awkward. Left field bride. I'm like, how, like, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody dug up something somewhere to like place this accurately. But, yeah. Oh my God. It's <laughs> so weird. To? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, she could have beat him with her umbrella, with her parasol. She I should. know. It's, it's too much. Yeah. Like he needs me or whatever. Like she was payment for a shirt in the laundry mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, that's probably historically how women were treated, especially Chinese women. Like, okay, we get that. But then this Kiefer Sutherland character just like sees her and uh, it's too much. I mean, she yeah. should have just like gotten the hell away from all these guys, but, but yeah. 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 It was awkward. <laughs> what struck me is that he's very gentleman with her the first meeting and then everything after that just lowers and lowers and lowers. I know he like screams oh. at her and uh, breaks in her, um, her bedroom oh. and puts his yeah. hand over her mouth. I mean, yeah. like that's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was just like, once he finds out that she's, you know, basically uh, being held prisoner mm -hmm. and being used, he's like, his interactions with her just drop. And I'm yeah. just like, beat him with your umbrella just yeah just whack just get him. him out of there come yeah. on Kiefer get the hell out yeah. you know uh, go be Jack Bauer already no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> but that's how they wrote it and yeah. I guess it's fine in 1988 <sighs> yeah kind of like Karate Kid 2 which I mean is a beautiful film but it's a little cringy with the like I'm gonna use you to learn about culture a little yeah it's mm -hmm. well I mean the whole franchise but you know, whole, yeah but they're fun movies come on they are yeah they are. yeah what about any other westerns that you remember growing up with I know in the 90s mm -hmm. we had a bunch of these come out like Tombstone and mm -hmm. yes are there any that yeah so you got all the the Wyatt Earp ones yeah like Tombstone. oh yeah yeah wasn't there like was there three of them or was there just two? There was also Wyatt Earp. Yeah. There was, I guess so it was open range. Does that count? But I don't even think it's the same story, no. but it's. No. Oh. Yeah. So I think that then maybe they only um, came in pairs though. Cause you have the, the Val Kilmer one. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you know, and I'm sorry, that one wins because he says I'm your Huckleberry and. I got two guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other. Is the other one have Costner in it? Wider yeah. had Costner in it. I yeah. guess that's why I linked it with Open Range because I think that mm. was Costner too. Unforgiven was a different different ball of wax. That's Clint. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a bunch of these come out. Posse. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, God, what else? Uh, see, then the ones that come to mind are the more recent ones. Um, like uh, uh, any you liked that were recent? Um, yeah, it's kind of like I watched them because I read the book. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Appaloosa. 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 Oh, yeah. Ed Harris. Ed Harris is always a watch. But Vigo Mortensen. Mortensen. Yeah. And he shows up. Like, I, I know you haven't. I'm sorry. I keep talking about the second one. But everybody shows up in the second one who they couldn't get for their first one. or who. Yeah. I know. Vigo Mortensen is in it. Yeah, exactly. It was right after Witness. And it was yeah. before he did The Indian Runner. So that yeah. was like his second movie then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm like, Vigo, like, 
speak you're going places yeah (laughs) and then later right after he did lord of the rings when that got done he did hildago yeah Vigo, you just stick him in a western yeah yeah he works well even um what is it called history of violence feels kind of like a western a bit yeah yes so yes. he's just sort of good in those type of roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, on and a mission. Ed Harris is in that one too, isn't it? Or is it somebody else? Yes, it is. is Ed Harris. Harris. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's Cronenberg. Yeah. Cronenberg. Yeah. 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 And then he made um, with Eastern. Vigo uh, Eastern Promises. Promises. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not a Western, but a great no, film. No. Yeah. But still, yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. But I don't know of any, nothing else really. I mean, you get like the, I think the TV movies, the TV Westerns are the ones that really, because you get the big Lonesome Dove miniseries. Oh, yes. Those were huge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the ones they did um, in the 80s with Kenny Rogers and Bruce Boxleitner. The the Gambler. The Gambler. The Gambler. (laughs) Yes. I remember those. Oh, my gosh. Those are the ones that, like, yeah. I had a, like Bruce Boxleitner coming off of like the the spy and Mrs. Whoever. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yeah, there we go. Yes, yeah, I Mrs. loved King. that show, but I'm weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you get the theme song for that stuck in your head, it doesn't leave. Oh, okay. Fair warning, but yeah. it's a great theme song. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah. I know. Good times. Mm-hmm. Well, this was such a fun topic. I really appreciated you coming on and talking movies with me. We kind of take a topic and then go in a million directions, but that's <laughs> yeah. a blast because you and I have so much in common with films. So it's always fun to do. Thank you, Thank you for having me. It was such a good time to revisit all these and talk about them. Yes. You. Well, you're welcome back at any time, you awesome. know, with your wonderful ideas and some of our stories about uh, watching weird movies with our relatives and, you know, yeah, you got to do that. Stay away from the Eric Bana adaptation sometimes. No, yes. we, there's a lot of life lessons to be found in this last hour or hour and a half that you guys listen to. We hope. Otherwise we hope we just made you laugh. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Always a good time. Come, come yeah. for the laugh, not necessarily for my, my robust movie opinions, but Oh, no. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Nikki. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.